0: Good morning. It is an Aliyah day. I am uh, Rabbi Griffin, of course. It's very uh, much a blessing to be with you today as we are uh, experiencing our Aliyah day for Kedoshim, the second reading Baruch Hashem. We are going to be in uh, the Kehol Tumash, chapter 19, beginning in verse 15. If you have your uh, Kehol Tumash, we're going to welcome you to join us. We're going to be on page 661. It's going to be quite uh, a blessing to be with you this morning, Baruch Hashem. So we have lots of things to share today and some uh, things to look back on uh, from yesterday. It's going to be amazing. There's actually so much to share. We're going to have to, uh, uh, you know share all that we can today, and uh, prayerfully uh, get back to some of it uh, tomorrow as well. So once again, thank you for joining me, uh, Aliyah Day. We're going to be on Parashah Kedoshim, second Aliyah. If you have the Artscroll Humash, we're on page 661. We begin reading in chapter 19 and verse 15. So let's read and get right to our time together. It says, you shall not commit a perversion of justice, you should not favor the poor, you should not honor the great, with righteousness shall you judge your fellow. So, uh, proper judgment, fair judgment, equal justice under the law is a tenant of Torah. We're not supposed to give preference to our friends, people who are indigent or whatever, people who are wealthy, everybody's supposed to have the same Law and and many of us have seen in our own country where uh, that doesn't happen. Where if you're very wealthy, you seem you seem to uh, operate under a different justice system. And sometimes people, if they're very poor, indigent, they're given a pass. But what does that do? It creates injustice, which is really a foundation for evil. It's not good, and obviously, it's against the uh, it's against the Torah. So it says. Uh, you shall not be a gossip monger among your people. You shall not stand aside while your fellow's blood is shed. I am Adonai. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall reprove your fellow and do not bear a sin because of him. You should not take re- revenge and you should not bear a grudge against the members of your people. You shall love your fellow as you love yourself. We're naturally going to be spending a, a lot of time. Uh, talking about that particular uh, statement because that's obviously um, what do we refer to it as the golden rule. Verse 19: You shall observe my decrees. You shall not mate your animals into another species. You shall not plant your field with mixed seeds, and a garment that is a mixture of combined fibers shall you not uh, shall not come upon yourself. Specifically, wool and linen. Not supposed to mix wool and linen together. We learned that uh, specifically in another uh, part of the Torah. Those uh, commandments I just read are what are referred to as hukim. These are commandments uh, for which we don't have a definite reason why. It just kind of goes back to the concept, as I was mentioning yesterday, of making distinctions or separating separating that which is permitted that which is forbidden only god knows why we can't mix like we just said only god knows for that matter why we can't mix meat and dairy sure there are some uh, scientific nutritional uh, digestive um, reasons perhaps but ultimately we don't really know the bottom line is is that we we live a life of separation ultimately that's what Torah is all about That's it's, it's um, some might say it's, it's living the quote-unquote fasted life. But, but it's really living the holy life. Verse 20, If a man lies carnally with a woman, and she is a slave woman, who has been designated for another man, and who has not been redeemed, or, or freedom has not been granted her, there shall be an investigation, and they shall not be put to death, for she was not, has not been freed. And so it says here in verse 21, he shall bring his guilt offering to Adonai to the entrance of the tent of meeting, a ram guilt offering. The Kohen shall provide him atonement with the ram guilt offering before Adonai for the sin that he committed and the sin that he committed shall be forgiven him. Now I just want to glance back for a second at yesterday's Aliyah because we did leave a few things on the table from Rebbeinu Bakki, I just want to mention um, right Quickly here. We spoke at the conclusion of the Aliyah yesterday, talking about the fact that there were God during creation created the angels who had a level of divine intelligence. And then he created the creatures who are bound to earth by their bodies and therefore don't have the divine intelligence. And then he created man, who's a combination of two. And our job, our mission, is to live for God uh, in this human body uh, as a more or less divine being. As it says here in Rebbeinu Bacchia, it says, as long as Adam did not sin, and as a result became enmeshed in the urges common to animals, he was a true angel of, of Hashem, although possessed of a body. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. We're just going to Think about the the deep esoteric uh, underlying message of that. That Adam himself was a divine being. He wasn't, of course, God, obviously. But the sages point out that Adam looked so much like Hashem that the angels bowed down to worship him when they first saw him. They didn't realize it wasn't Hashem, which tells us what? It tells us when it talks about that we're made in the image of God, it's literal. It's literal, which tells us that Hashem has some type of, of image. Hashem has some type of image. Now, think about it. Just, just dwell on that for a moment, because there are people that, that will tell you uh, that God has no form. He's absolute spirit. He has no, you, you know, there, and therefore, you know, Yeshua, no way he could be a manifestation of God because that's untenable. But but let's go back to this reality that the angels bowed down to worship Adam. Why? Because they they looked at him and said, that's Hashem. Now, how is that possible if Hashem doesn't have an image? That, that doesn't even make any sense. If all they see is spirit, they don't ever see any, any type of uh, form or any type of manifestation. How is that even possible? And besides that, it goes against Torah. Why? Because when it says in Numbers chapter 12, that Moses would go to the, God is speaking, by the way, in Numbers chapter 12. He's telling Aaron and Miriam, he said, when Moses comes to the 10th of meeting, that uh, he speaks to my image. That's what he says, literally. He speaks to my image. What image, you see? So, Going back to Adam. So Adam is now, he's like a divine being. And so what was the purpose? What was what was Adam's ultimate purpose? According to Rebeni Bacchia, let's just put the thoughts together. He says, had he not sinned and therefore been enmeshed in the urges of his animalistic nature, then he would have been a true angel of God in a human form, in a bodily form. So Adam's goal, or I should say God's purpose for Adam was for him to be divine in the flesh. I mean, let's just put it together. Let's use logic and common sense. Otherwise, this statement doesn't make any sense. What would be the point? So it says, as a result, he was fit to live forever. He's going to live forever. Ultimately, Adam was supposed to be that that divine being, let's say, in a human form forever. Forever. Isn't that what Yeshua ended up being, by the way? When he was resurrected, wasn't he that divine being in a human form forever? Because didn't he tell the Talmudim, look, touch touch me. Spirits don't have flesh and bone. This is why he's referred to as a second Adam by the apostles. <clears throat> it's a... It is a... Uh, a tikkun for what was supposed to have happened in the Gan Eden, but did not happen. Why? Because of sin of man. So it says, as a result, he was fit to live forever, similar to the angels uh, who reside in the celestial regions. He had been placed in Gan Eden, the choicest location on earth. So it says here, seeing that he did sin, Decided to respond to the physical urges, which tells us what? That sin is a choice. Remember that sin is breaking the Torah. That is the definition of sin. Sin equals breaking the Torah. It's very important. I tell the um, my class downtown every Monday, it's a very frequent, reoccurring message I give, is that sin equals breaking the Torah. And the reason I give it so often is because sin the definition of sin is rarely clearly defined and you might try this as an ex i think i've challenged you to do this before i know i challenged the guys downtown to do this before but um this would be a, an interesting exercise uh if you have christian friends or maybe especially christian pastors uh just just ask them and and ask them out of out of sincere curiosity to know their answer not because you're trying to be smug god forbid or arrogant but just ask them hey i'm just curious what is the definition of sin what is sin precisely what is the concise uh easy to understand or whatever what is sin precisely right and i have found that my experience rarely do you get an answer rarely do you get a precise answer it's very vague it's very uh you know, subjective. But the definition of sin is breaking God's law. It's very simple. It's so simple. So so that begs the question, what is God's law? We better know that. We don't want to sin, of course. So when we sin, we're making a choice to do what? Break God's law. So this is what happened to Adam. He decided to respond to the physical urges. And as a result, it says he was deprived of the intelligence which had covered him like a garment and was stressed or excuse me, and was dressed in an earth-grown material. So, again, looking at Remain Ubaki here, what does this teach us? Um, it tells us that the intelligence spoken about earlier in his comments is not intelligence with respect to uh, cognitive smartness pardon the expression. But the intelligence here talking about is Torah. Torah. Remember that Torah was in Shemayim prior to it being re-given to the children of Israel. And the angels were upset. Why should you give the, the Torah of heaven to the men? They're not worthy. And God, of course, explains to them that it's meant for them. But of course the Torah was in Shemayim because the Torah existed before Shemayim. It existed before anything because the Torah made everything. But I digress. The important thing to know here is that the intelligence spoken about is the Torah itself. And this intelligence, this Torah, this light is what clothed Adam and Hava in the garden. And when they sinned, many people have been trained to believe that Adam and Hava, Adam and Hava, were just running around the the uh the garden of eden nude that it was the first nudist colony which has led people to want to go back to the basics right go back to the to wearing no clothes which of course is not uh kosher body stretch of the imagination but they weren't running around the garden nude it wasn't because they've been people have been taught they were nude they were naked and then all of a sudden when they sinned they realized they were naked before they were oblivious to it but now they that was that's not true at all it's not true at all The reality is that their clothing was supernatural clothing of light, and that light ultimately was the Holy Torah. It was the ultimate divine intelligence, and when they chose to sin, they traded their divine intelligence for animalistic intelligence, and as a result, they lost their clothing. This is why they put upon themselves fig leaves. Hashem later came and gave them garments of skin, and interestingly enough, the, the word for skin and the word for light in Hebrew is both "or," the same sounding. The difference between the two words is that light begins with an aleph, indicating that it's godly, because aleph is a uh, a, a letter of Hashem, and the word for skin begins with an ayin, which represents a fallen state. But they're both or. So uh, the clothing that we wear today is a crude mimic of the garments of light that we are intended to wear through Torah. Just another comment here from Rabbi Bakia. It says, Abandoning evil is something abominable In the eyes of fools. Let me read that again. Abandoning evil is something abominable in the eyes of fools. So let's go back and retrace our steps for a second. Sin is defined very simply, very clearly in the Bible as breaking God's law. Okay, so therefore, God's law is holy, righteous, good, and spiritual. Even the Apostle Paul in one of his letters said the very same thing, and obviously he was correct in saying that. So therefore, can we agree that sin is evil? If God's law is holy, righteous, good, spiritual, and therefore breaking it is sinning, then we have to say that sin is the opposite of that which is good, righteous, holy, and spiritual. Therefore, it must be evil. So to break God's commandments is evil, sin. To keep it is righteousness, holiness, goodness, spirituality. So it is any wonder then when people are upset with pe- with those who are observing God's law, why is it such a big deal? Why is it to these people, whoever they are, friends, family, co-workers, strangers... Why do they care? We've said it many times. It's kind of a, a almost a tired example, but it works. And that is, if you told your friends that you're going to go on a diet, you're trying to be healthy, you want to uh, avoid be- eating pork and shellfish and uh, shark and uh, catfish because you're trying to lose weight, they would celebrate you. If you told your friends that you were going to become a vegetarian or a vegan, for the very same reasons, you would be like a righteous person in their eyes. Nothing against vegetarians or vegans, not at all, great. But I'm just saying, in our modern society, that's like, it's really kind of the end thing. It's like getting a coffee at the coffee bar. You're kind of, a, it's like an in thing to do. And so they would celebrate you, it'd be wonderful, you'd be amazing. But tell somebody you're going to do all those things because you want to follow the law of God, and suddenly... You're a heretic, a heathen, you've lost your salvation, you're crazy, you're meshuganah, whatever. Why? Because abandoning evil is something abominable in the eyes of fools. Remember that breaking the commandments is sin and therefore it's evil, and so therefore to abandon that lifestyle is to abandon evil in the eyes of fools. That is abominable. Notice the language that Rebbe Bakya uses. He says it's abomination to them. So whereas to, to God, eating pork is an abomination, to the person who's not observant, not eating pork is an abomination. We hear it all the time. Just a good example. Something to think about. So we'll come back to Rebe Bakia tomorrow, but I want to get to some of these other insights um, from our Aliyah today. Again, so many wonderful things about Kedoshim. I don't know how we're going to have time to do everything today but or this week but we're going to try our best. So it says in verse 16, you shall not be a gossip monger among your people. You shall not stand aside while your fellow's uh, blood is shed. I am Adonai. Now, being a gossip monger, uh, the art school Humash has a great insight here. You should not be a gossip monger. It is forbidden to tell someone what others have said or done behind his back. It is forbidden to tell someone what someone has said or done behind his back. I'm going to submit to you, and I believe that, uh, uh, well, I'm going to tell you that the most difficult sin to combat is the sins of speech. Uh, The most difficult mitzvah to keep is the mitzvah of Shimrash HaLashon, guarding the tongue. And even the apostle Yaakov, he wrote about this in his letter. He said, who can tame the tongue? Because it is such, it, it's, a, it's a difficult mitzvah uh, because we're just presented with opportunity after opportunity. Uh, but this here is talking about a person who goes around and, and seems to peddle and and telling people what so-and-so said, and all this type of thing. Uh, it says here, the word is rakil, is related to rokel, a peddler, because a gossip goes from person to person and house to house, peddling his slander and gossip. Gossip-mongering is a great sin and has been the cause of much bloodshed. This is why the Torah follows up this commandment by... Warning against standing aside while someone else or someone's blood rather is being shed. Now, and Rabbi Monk has um, here another statement I want to read about it about this particular sin. This is the sin he says of Reculus. Reculus, what is Reculus or Reculus? It is information that causes ill will. Or damaged relationships. Information that causes ill will or damaged relationship. Going around telling someone, hey, so-and-so said this about you. Uh, that's gossip mongering. Hey, did you know that really this person, this is what they think about you? I can't believe they said it. Can you believe they said it? Any information that causes ill will or damaged relationships. Rambam writes... That whoever gossips about his neighbor commits the sin of Hercules. Although this violation entails no physical punishment, like Mahkut, it is a serious failing and has, on occasion, even led to murder. And he cites the story of Doeg the Edomite. What is meant by gossip mongering? Rabbi Monk asks. Someone who goes from one person to another saying, this is what so-and-so said about you, this is what I heard about you, and so on. Although he reports what he actually heard, Rambam tells us that his reculis can bring disaster into the world. So we're not allowed. Even if someone say, well, it's true, it doesn't matter. In fact, true is almost worse than a lie. Says so a much more serious wrongdoer is the talebearer or scandalmonger who speaks Lashon Horah, harming his neighbor's reputation even though what he says is true. As for one who slanders his neighbor with false stories, he is a Multzi Shemra. A Multzi Shem is one who brings defamation of character upon his fellow man. You know, there's been a lot of discussion uh, in recent. Well the last couple of years about this really really um horrible phenomenon we have in our country and it's a true phenomenon of fake news that the news nowadays is is uh is more propaganda than anything else if they if the news media doesn't particularly like a candidate for whatever reason politically they spread a lot of uh slander and and um uh scandal mongering and all this kind of stuff and so we people have lamented that, the fake news, can't believe anything, but, but I just want to point out, that's evil. It's very, very evil. It's very, very wicked to have all of that going on, telling these lies, lies about people. It's just it's so destructive. It's so destructive. So we, it goes without saying, we have to really guard our, ourselves against this type of, uh, of gossip, We have to be very careful, we have to check our motives, we have to, uh, it's better just to be quiet, honestly, it's better to be quiet. It's also not good to be such a negative person, and I would also caution everybody, don't put your whole life on Facebook. You know, share a little nice insights, whatever, but some people get on there, you know know what I'm talking about, I don't have to be, I don't have to go into uh, explicit examples, but some people get on there and they just share all the drama and trials they're going through, and. And uh, that you know, I, I had a fight with my husband, and here's how I went down. Uh, what are you talking about? You keep all that stuff. You share your nice little outing with your family, when we went to the zoo. Look at our picture. Isn't it great? But just be careful about putting your whole life out there, because it invites this reculus. Now, the Huff- the Hoffertheim points out that there are times in which we have to speak. Right should be done with great caution. Should be done with a whole lot of trepidation and and concern. But it says here sometimes it's permitted why if a man observes serious defects such as pride or anger in a person, he must inform his sons, followers against his sons or followers against that person's company so they do not come to imitate his example. Indeed, when the Torah cautions us against malicious talk, even when true, the purpose is to discourage the taking of pleasure and belittling another person. But if the reason for such talk is to protect someone from a bad example, he is doing the right thing as long as he makes clear why he's saying these things. Otherwise, he will leave the impression of being hypocritical in his own devotion to Torah principles. So we shouldn't go around just speaking with hara, obviously, and just because we enjoy it, we think that it's great to tell somebody, oh, look, what's going on with uh, this person, what they said about you. But sometimes it becomes necessary when you're trying to guard someone against someone who has an anger problem or a pride problem or some other type of issue, um, uh, you know, you have to You have to tell, you have to say, you, know, you have to uh, be advised if you have somebody come into your congregation and uh they have a past let's say just hy- this hypothetically they have a past of uh you know of um criminal activity or whatever i mean you have to you'd have to make certain people aware just to be cautious that's a protection moment it's not that's not just oh hey did you do you realize that person's history no and of course you would only say such a thing if it became relevant to whatever they were attempting to do within the community. So just, you have to uh, think about those things. But the bottom line is, even in those instances, better to ask the rabbi to get clarity from a maybe a Zakin, maybe to find out how you should approach a situation if you feel it's necessary. Better to be quiet. Better not to say. Better to... Just keep the negativity to yourself. Listen, we live in a world of negativity. No one needs to say, it's better to have a positive attitude. Let's put it that way. About everybody. And see the best in everybody. It's very hard to do. It's very difficult to do. It's very challenging. No one said it was easy. It's not easy, but you have to work at it. It says, you should not stand aside while your fellow's blood is shed. If someone's life is in danger, you must try to save him. Although one is not required to endanger his own life to save another, he should not be overly protective of his, of his life either. When I read that, you know, it's interesting, I immediately thought of the phenomenon we have nowadays where if someone is um, in trouble or uh, someone's being attacked or something like that, <clears throat> there's a propensity of people to want to film it on their phones instead of helping. And the the, the most uh, egregious uh, instance was uh, a video that I saw a while back of a police officer struggling with uh, someone he was trying to apprehend at a at a gas station parking lot. the 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 officer is is obviously waiting on backup. He's all by himself, wrestling with this guy. He's calling for help, asking people to help him. The uh, person with whom he's struggling is trying to pull his gun out of his holster. You can see him trying to do it several times. And there's about five or six people standing around just videotaping on their phones. Or not videotaping, but whatever. Doesn't matter. Taping on their phones or or video on their phones. It's crazy. What a sick and demented world we live in. Not allowed to do that. There should have been six or seven people trying to help the officer uh, you know, there was one guy who jumped in. And, and thank God, you know, ev- evidently the officer was fine. It turned out to be able to apprehend the guy. But what a shame. What an absolute shame that we live in a society that thinks on those lines. So it says here we're not supposed to endanger our life. But there's a comment, I'm trying to find it here, from uh, uh, Rabbi Monk. Talking about this particular instance, <clears throat> and there are some there are some concepts here where that wasn't always explicit. There was some idea that um, that in fact one should uh, perhaps uh, endanger themselves um, to love themselves even more or love the other person even more. We're not supposed to. And you don't. You're not. There's no halachic requirement. Um, to endanger life, um, it, yes, it was Rabbi Chaim Luzado who said, "Love your love your neighbor as yourself." This goes back to love your neighbor as self, which we'll get into tomorrow. Without distinction, without difference, without trickery, without afterthought, as yourself, absolutely. So when it comes to seeing someone's life in danger, we should see that person's life in danger as if our own uh, life. Was in danger uh, and jump in and save them. So we've run out of time today. So tomorrow, because there's so much to share about the love your fellow as you love yourself. Uh, Clearly, this was a topic that the Messiah spent a a great deal of time talking about. Um, The sages talk about it, it's really the cornerstone. Of the Jewish idea. And so we're going to hold off until tomorrow to get into that because there's so much to, to share. We, I don't want to uh, cut it short uh, today. So until then, may you have a blessed, wonderful, and amazing day. <clears throat> be joyful, be happy, be kind, be loving, and uh, guard your tongue. Watch what you say. And if there's any doubt about what you're saying, then better not to say it. Shalom and blessing. We'll see everybody tomorrow. Until then, uh, have a great day.